Welcome, Seeker. I'm so glad to have made your acquaintance. It's nice to be here among the lush trees and gardens and verdant forests of my retreat in El Salvador. You look beautiful. And no, my eyes are closed, so I don't see the material wealth that you have or the fineness of your face, but I see your soul, and it burns bright. But sometimes fire needs a little bit of gasoline poured on it in order to illuminate the cell. So sit down in the most annoying way possible that looks uncomfortable and stupid at the same time. Sit straight-backed, wearing shorts so I can see a little bit of your balls. Right or left, it doesn't matter to me. I can hear every bone in your body, every cell stiffening, tumescent with anticipation. Here, I kneel down before you with the wooden cup that is hard to drink from and also hold. Smell the bitter brew. Flick your tongue out like a cat in front of some milk. Taste the ayahuasca. Now do you see? Everything from your past, much like the story about Christmas in England, your future, your present coming to visit you. Oh, no, I should not have been into a swing revival. Oh, my electro-pop phase was weird. I didn't, I oh no, it's haunting me. All that guilt that you feel from that, all that guilt that you feel, Seeker, release that. Release that and come with me. Open the door and see um, that you now owe me $20,000. And if you, if you don't have that, you can't leave here. Namaste. (laughs) I'm trying to think. I got so distracted during that. I was thinking, I was like, damn, I wonder how many people did both Swing Revival and Electropop. Why did I say Swing Revival? I was trying to think of Electropop. I feel like that's a different type, but also I think there's probably one guy who just like was on it all. Yeah, a guy who just like every, he just, by an accident, a misfortune of birth, he was just able to hit the worst trends of the past like 40 years. (laughs) One after another. And every time he thinks, he's like, oh, this next thing will actually be cool. I won't be embarrassed by it. And he's just like in the tightest black pants possible playing a keyboard. (laughs) He's in crystal castles. Oh, my God. And three years prior, he was in that Gap ad. Oh, my God. He was also like, he's in Monkey Bone. like, And he also in the Cherry Pop and Daddies. Monkey Bone is such a vibe, though. That's all like... Women say the craziest (laughs) shit, man. Monkey Bone was such a vibe? Dude, it's a current vibe. Go look up uh, just right now. It's Paris Fashion Week. You check out men's. There's fucking Monkey Bone all over Paris right now. I'm telling you. I will never, never check out men's Fashion Week in Paris. I will only. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello, Sears. My name. My name is Yoni. No, it's not. Don't say that. My that name, is not your name. My name is Yoni. Bel- Yoni Belden. <laughs> and we have with us here our guide, producer Young Chomsky. 
Oh, that's nice to think of him as our guide. Our guy that we're going to sacrifice <laughs> <laughs> for my yoni. Ew. Um, that's right, baby. Today is our Dr. Sebi episode. <laughs> that's all right. Welcome to True Anon. Hello. Thank welcome you. Welcome to True Anon. <laughs> Thank you. Anon. Hello. Hello. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. We're not doing a Dr. Sebi episode today. No, although we really should, but also should not. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> We're not. I, I'm saying this right now. We will never do a Doctor Sebi. You know, Ky, speaking of Doctor Sebi, Kyrie's going to get like off the off the nets, and mm-hmm. you got to wonder how much some of that COVID advice really did him in. You know what I mean? Is that basketball slang? What he's off the nets? No, like he's like trying to get onto a different team. Well, also the nets don't want to want want okay. him yeah, to I stay. See what you're Okay. So oh, I see. Like he's off the nets. Like he's giving him up cold turkey. I, I, I did not know what basketball team <laughs> he's becoming he a non-shooter. <laughs> yeah, he's more. He's doing like court work now. I'm doing light work with Kyrie. Yeah, Kyrie's going to really try for first team all defense, which mm-hmm. is never going to happen. Respect for having a girl's name. Honestly, you heard it here first. Respect for that. That is actually like a pretty good looking girl's name too. He would be a really pretty woman. Yeah. Hell, I'll jack off to that thought later. <laughs> Um, but first, Liz, oh my God. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get some things out of the way here. Have you ever taken, uh, pretend I'm a policeman and you're okay. under arrest. First of all, you are a policeman. Yeah, and... but pretend I'm on the clock. Okay. Culturally speaking. Yes. I got a gun to you. Have you ever smoked weed? Yes. Have you ever done ayahuasca? No. And have you ever taken peyote or mescaline? No. So to be clear here, you're not speaking from lived experience in this episode. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Have you ever done what they call a, we call the La Bombalera? Um, <laughs> race faked? Have you ever race faked? No. On purpose? No. Okay. Okay. Why are you looking at me like that? I just, I, I, I just know a few things about you. <laughs> Wait, what's the other thing that it's not totally related to this, but um, that everyone's doing now? Toad. What? Oh, like <laughs> oh, like toad what's venom. It? Bofa, both. <laughs> no, nope. you're not going to work on me, Liz. No, 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 no. It's called that. It's called. It's that. called. Oh, really? Well, what's what's Bofa, Liz? Bofa or say something. it. What's Bofa? <laughs> No, it's bufo. Bufo. Uh huh. Yeah, it's like to- it's like frog DMT or something. I don't really know about drugs or care about drugs. My friend was telling me about it recently. Friend who shall go unnamed. Mm-hmm. Um, but is he's a light worker? She is uh-huh. well known actually. But uh, she was talking about everyone doing toad. Mm-hmm. Which I'm I- like, we what's going on? <laughs> Let me tell you, if she lives in New York City, let me tell you, a she lot of women it. out there, a lot of women out there doing toads, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I know uh, ha- Hamilton like smoked a toad or some shit on his his show. I feel and, like you shouldn't do that to animals. Well, I don't think you actually smoke the toad. I think the toad like squirts at you, and then yeah, you the smoke, smoke the the toad smokes you. You know what I'm you, saying? You smoke a little toad squirt. I, I don't fuck with that. I smoke no, I think plenty you just of lick shit it. from animals. I think you just lick the no, toad. That's just from cartoons. Really? You just lick the toad? I think you just lick the toad. Plenty of women in New York City doing that too. And they ain't getting high, except off of ketamine. Um, I've never taken ayahuasca either, and I've also never taken peyote. 
which is That's what cool. we call it. Um, I, You're I, not really a hallucinogenic guy. No, I'm not. I, yeah. I, my, my thing is, I have taken hallucigen, hallucigens, hallucinogens. Um, I don't think I have. You've never taken acid? No. No, no, no. What, have you ever taken mushrooms? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe a tiny bit, but not. I have never done like, like a full mushroom trip thing. Yeah. When I was in college, this kid um, ate mushrooms and jumped off the roof of a dorm. Uh, what? Yeah. And I, I think it was okay, but that's, that's like, like a cautionary tale. They <laughs> it was a cautionary tale. Happened? I was like, wow. that's crazy. Um, I, the first time I took acid, I think I've told this story in the show before, uh, was in Ojai. I mm. was staying with this guy who was an acid dealer and, uh, ended up on this crazy search for the Yeti. This oh, guy yeah, named the Yeti. Yeti. I remember. Yeah, yeah, ended yeah. up you finding the worm story. and then also later found the Yeti. Um, that feels like a euphemism and yet it's not. It's not. No, both those Ojai characters. Uh, and then I take it a bunch of times, not a bunch, but like five or six times in the next year or two after that. And then I just never wanted to do it again. Mm. Um, mushrooms, I've only taken a couple times. I did not like them. The first time I took them was on New Year's Eve when I was like 19. And a random person, a woman who was wasted, just took my glasses off my face and threw them. That's and so, mean. Yeah, I know. And I was so high and confused. I was like, why would you do that? And you couldn't see. And then Andrea jumped Mr. on her Magoo. like a like a like a feral cat <laughs> and just put her knuckles right into her eyes. Oh shit. On a car. And I was watching this. And I was like, well, I guess Wow, real eye for an eye there. Eye for an eye there. Yeah. That's um, not good. It was no. I don't know. Who knows what happened after that? Well, but yeah, you couldn't see anything. Couldn't see. I shouldn't see much after that. I think I got my glasses off the ground, but it's, uh, yeah. That should be, I got to tell you this. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you take a guy's glasses off his face or a woman's, anyone's glasses off their face, anything they do act to you after that should be legal. Yeah, because they can't see. I can't see anything. So, yeah, so I don't, you don't know. know. You're not in control of anything. I'm not you in can't control. I, exactly. I'm like a I'm like a bull that sees red, but yeah. only within like five inches of his face. Or like a baby. I'm like a baby, and babies can't be charged with murder until today's episode. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. So this one, I don't know if we're actually going to call it three ta, but I think we maybe we will. We we will. Why did oh, I say that weird? We will. We we all call well. You're you were getting to the mind of a baby. <laughs> I think I was. Yeah. Okay. Three ta. This is the third part of our our Utah series, and it's taking a little bit of a different turn. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to read a quote from the Book of Mormon before mm. we really get into this. The real Book of Mormon. The not real the, book, not the show, the Book of Mormon. Which was, by the way, the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't believe you've seen the Book of Mormon. I, I saw it. I was given a free ticket, uh, and I went, and I stood at one point in the bathroom, and just I didn't even have my phone with me. I had left it in my seat, and I just looked like this wall for 20 minutes. It, mm. it was, and I was just wishing it was over. I hate musicals. It's because so you love much. costumes so much, but all these guys were just wearing suits. It was not, yeah, it was not good in any single kind of way. I was the, one of the worst experiences of my life. I have, I'm a big musical person, but I never saw that. Or I don't like new musicals. I'm much more of an old world type, but, yeah. um, my understand it's by the South park people, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, nothing good can come from that. 
So this is from the Book of Mormon. Their scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes, and many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a white and a delightsome people. That is, of course, uh, about the, well, Mormon racial science is uh, a little divergent from mainstream race science. Uh, and they, you know, they are talking all kinds of things like the Lamanites, who I think, I believe they're talking about um, Pacific Islanders and Native Americans there. And so that is supposed to be, if they convert to Mormonism, they will become a white and delightsome people. Mm. But perhaps they should have asked, what happens when a white Mormon converts to becoming a Native American? So the story so far is this. <laughs> and bear with me here. I understand. Once again, I understand how confusing this is. Yeah. I get it. So what I need you to do is pay really close attention to yeah. this part. Even if you zoom out for the rest, zoom out, whatever. If you don't pay attention to the rest of the episode, I don't want you being like, what the fuck were they talking about? Here is precisely what we are talking about. May 31st, the Utah County Sheriff's Office puts out a press release saying they were looking into allegations of ritual abuse that took place between the 1990s and 2010s. 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 They name no names. The next day, the DA of Utah County, David Levitt, puts on a press conference claiming that the sheriff's department opened up this investigation to target him in his upcoming June 28th, that's tomorrow, primary election. He says that one tragically mentally ill young girl, I don't know why I spaced it like that, but that's his quote. He calls her tragically mentally ill several times, had made claims that were later dismissed by the previous DA in 2012 that there was a large cabal of ritual abusers centered around her therapist father. David Levitt says he was named as one of them. He also claims that the sheriff is being fed this information by a man, Nicholas Rossi, alias Arthur Knight who is extraditing from Scotland for a separate rape case that is not involved with the 2012 case. That man, Arthur Knight, Nicholas Rossi, faked his own death in 2020 and has nothing to do with the 2012 case aside from posting about it on the internet. The man in the 2012 case was disbarred therapist David Hamblin, a Mormon who was also a fake Native American medicine man despite being white. We found the case files and last episode walked through the timeline of abuse put forth by a separate victim of David Hamblin. Alleged. By the way, this is all alleged and we're a comedy podcast. Separate victim who is a gay man named Brad who went to David Hamblin on the advice of, his Morm of the Mormon church and was abused by him. The latter part of that timeline centers around Hamblin's involvement with the Oklahoma Native American Church. Hamblin was busted in the early 2000s for dealing peyote under the Oklahoma Native American Church's auspices. Now, Brad not only claims that the ONAC, Oklahoma Native American Church, knew of Hamblin's abuse, but appears they facilitated or perhaps facilitated contact between Hamblin and Brad. The ONAC, like the Mormon Church, appears to have, well, they're alleged by other people, not us, to have helped cover up this abuse. The man that Brad claims knew about the abuse was Oklahoma Native American Church founder James Mooney. So, okay, 
David Hamblin was a member, and I guess you could say a mentee of James mm-hmm. Mooney, right? Of yes. the ON. O-N-A-C, Oklahoma Native American Church. We're just going to keep calling it the O-N-A-C. So just keep up with us. Know what we're talking about there. Mm-hmm. Um, the O-N-A-C and James Mooney are a real, I mean, this was a real interesting story that I got to say appears to be a bit of a, I don't know, it, it wanders into a couple different places, but really takes a lot of fascinating turns. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's 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 the nature of this case that basically any person that you look at for more than two seconds takes you into a really strange direction. I mean, yes. you know, we talked about in the first episode about David Levitt's strange just life in Ukraine and post-Soviet Europe. Um, our last episode, we talked about David Hamblin's, let's say, esoteric therapeutical practices. And, you know, something that's been hovering around this a lot, specifically because of Hamblin, is James Mooney's church. And, and, you know, I had never really heard of the Oklahoma Native American church. In fact, I'd never heard of it at all. I don't think you had either. And the more we looked into it, the weirder this shit got. Yeah. So uh, let's talk. I think we're kind of going to go through James Mooney's life that kind of leads up to both his contact with Hamblin and then really what his church is actually all about, because Hamblin's just one small facet of it. So James Mooney was born in California in 1944. His family moved all over the place after that. And um, despite claiming now to be, I think he says 35% Native American, uh, his Native ancestry is sketchy, to say the least. Now, to be clear here, Liz and I are not geneticists. Thank God, because that's also another word for a eugenicist. Exactly. We don't believe in genetics. Everything is just, you know who's the re- the only geneticist that I trust? Big man upstairs. That's right. Germ theory is fake. Yes. Uh, I was actually talking about my father. Oh, who lives above you? Who lives above me. Yeah. I mean, we do <laughs> record this. Dr. Belden. Dr. Belden. <laughs> the renowned gene- the Lysenko's only American yes. protege. He's the one who invented CRISPR. Yes. So, all right. So, we're not, I, you know, I, I'm not out here accusing anybody of lying about being Native American. We've never done that on this podcast, except for one of our greatest episodes, which was the one we did about Elizabeth Warren. But let me just say here, I would be more, um, I'd be less surprised, rather, if Mr. Mooney, Monsieur Mooney, was actually related to Elizabeth Warren rather than um, Osceola, who he (laughs) does say he is related to. So he claims to have a grandmother on his father's side who was fully Native, and he says his grandfather on his father's side was half, and his grandmother on his mother's side was a quarter. So basically, he says it's common knowledge that he has, you know, uh, Native American grandparents that they come from Indian territory. So he says he makes absolutely no effort to back this up. He claims that his one of his grandfathers is no way his actual real grandfather, and that his real grandfather is a man named James Mooney, who we'll get to later. Um, and his whole, you know, if you look into his background for like more than two seconds, especially when you keep in mind that he lived as a white man named James Perkins until he was forty-three, a lot of it sort of falls apart. Um, What actually appears to have happened here is he converted to Mormonism in 1971, um, and he really didn't come to appreciate his Native American heritage until 1987. 
So he actually was a businessman who was, I guess, moderately successful. He had nine kids. He was married. His wife dies of cancer, and his seven of his kids are taken by the state for reasons that I could not figure out. Um, he gets really into a drug called lithium. I, that's a kind of a weird way to phrase it, but he has prescribed lithium uh, to help deal with uh, symptoms of bipolar disorder, which he uh, develops or at least you know manifests itself. Um, he 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 gets his shit pretty fucked up. He starts going higher and higher doses on lithium until he hits about eighteen hundred milligrams a day, which is not an outrageous dose, but a pretty high one. And from all accounts, and I do believe this, his life was at a low point. His shit was fucked up. You know, his wife's dead. A bunch of his kids have been taken by the government. Um, and he tells later, you know, when he becomes a newsworthy man, the Salt Lake City City Weekly, that the only thing that kept him alive was his Mormon faith mm. and growing knowledge of Native practices. So, Liz, do you know... That you can just convert to another race. <laughs> I mean, you can, but it doesn't mean you should. You can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very powerful thing. Not many can pull it off. Yeah, only the biggest pop singer in the world, Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. And certain kings <laughs> among us. Uh, but uh, it's actually, things like this could sometimes happen just with a phone call in the middle of the night. So he says he got a phone call. And actually, very early in the morning, when he was he's actually staying with his current wife, Linda, uh, he gets a call from the chief of a, in parentheses, federally unrecognized, band of Seminoles in Florida that claims to have known Moonies, or at this time, Perkins, grandparents. None of this makes any sense, by the way. Yeah, so I, it's it's very strange. So this guy just calls him up in the middle of the night and is like, I know your grandparents. This is what Mooney says, right? Mooney says... I got a call from a guy, a chief, in the middle of the night. And this is how I was able to confirm my Native American heritage. It's like, why would a guy call you in the middle of the night? It makes no sense. It, yeah. How did like, you get your number? Exactly. Like, how did he even figure, why, and why does he care? So yeah. the chief says that Mooney's grandpa- great-grandparents had actually been seminal warriors who had escaped off the Trail of Tears. According to the Provo Daily Herald, the chief said Mooney's grandparents had often spoken of a grandson who was as, chi- as a child brutally killed and then miraculously brought b- back from the dead. The chief's words evoked in Mooney images and feelings, mostly pain. Liz, do you know what's coming next? Yeah. So now, welcome back, repressed memories. Oh, yeah. So this is actually a fairly – because we are – we don't talk about much of the show, but we are – Avid followers of every race faker that ever has hit the headlines. We were just like before we started recording, Brace and I were chatting, and he was running through his like his faves. Yeah. Because it really was a moment of like big race fakers getting busted pretty much right after we did that Liz Warren episode. Yeah. <laughs> Not it's, saying that we're trendsetters, but you know, it's yeah. I mean, I gotta say the all time people say Dolazol is the best one. I got to say, Dolezal is one of the least fucked up ones. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, okay, she's on the board of the Spokane NAACP. Mm -hmm. That's bad, right? She also pretends to be black. But like everybody else that got busted during this time was like a professor of like African history pretending to be black. Or like- that's so great. Or yeah. 
running I think there was a, for president of the United States. <laughs> exactly. There was a woman who was, I believe, in like you know, charge of like First Nations, not fully in charge, but she was like in the First Nations administration in Canada was pretending to be oh my God. native. I um, mean, also, you can't call um, Dolezal successful because she got caught. The whole point of race faking is you never get caught. Exactly. Um, I, I got to say, the all-timer, though, the all-timer is Jess La Bombalera. I'm Jess La Bombalera. I'm here in El Barrio, East Harlem. And if you are <laughs> listening to this episode, I know this is a tangent. Please Google this woman. People and listen to our Utah episodes for our tangents. Yes, yeah. Well, I it's it's. I wish she was involved in this. And if you're listening to this, Jessica Krug, please <laughs> not only come on this podcast, be my wife in forever. Till literally after death, like let's go to heaven together. So repress memories. Um, Mooney says that this phone call, where 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 the uh, where the the chief, this random guy in the middle of the night, calls him up and says, "Your grandparents, who I knew, uh, told me that their you know grandson had been brought back to life." Forty three year old James Perkins, aka James Mooney, remembers that at age three. And I got to say, I'm going to use some words here that I don't know if I'm allowed to use, whatever. He says that uh, three kids at the pond said, hey, Injun, and also called him Redskin, and then beat him up, sexually assaulted him, killed him, and threw him in a pond while a brown-skinned girl is like, no, don't stop, like a mysterious brown-skinned benefactor. The way he tells it, she might have been a ghost or something. His grandmother finds him, resuscitates him somehow, but he passes out until he wakes up in a sweat lodge with his grandfather like standing over him, chanting and like putting him up in the four different like directions and blessing him as a medicine man. James Mooney had no memory of this until he turned 43 and got a call, he says, from a seminal chief in the middle of the night. He also learns that he's a descendant of Osceola, who is like obviously a very famous like Native American warrior. Uh, and there is no, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Osceola's um, like his, his descendants are like alive and like not you know like they're not like unknown yeah so i so, guess maybe he just like fucked a chick and had a baby with her and like then this guy eventually came out it's a little strange we should say that like i mean uh you know uh membership in native american tribes and is is very complicated but yeah. heritage is not right and we're not here doing like family trees or anything like that but Mooney himself, the only proof that he, that of this kind of heritage is at the age of forty seven is him basically just telling this story. Exactly, and like there is a long, long, long history, of specifically white men in American history pretending to be i mean yeah. it's actually not only white men no um, female but, law professors as well no true but actually a, a lot of people do it um it, pretending to have like native american you know like a cherokee grandmother that's always sure. the big thing right yeah, yeah yeah um a lot of people wait Mima. <laughs> what was it Mima's cooking oh fuck yes yeah fucking yeah elizabeth warren's cookbook my god <sighs> Oh, I totally forgot. We got a about link that. to that episode in, we got, in here. Fuck, we got a link to that cookbook, fucking SpawnCon. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, there's a, there's just like 
there's something really, I mean, not something. There's a very obvious thing that's perverse about like basically genociding almost an entirety of a people, like really just like killing as many of them as you can. Um, and then pretending to be them. Mm. Uh, and so there is something that really sticks in my craw about this. I got to say, yes, I agree. Membership in native tribes is, and and in fact, tribes being recognized by the government and stuff like that. There's a lot of different reasons that different tribes and bands are not recognized by the federal government. Some of them totally normal. Some of them not so normal. Um, but it is like, you know, I'm not here to do blood quantum or anything, but if you make extraordinary claims, such as the ones that Monsieur Mooney is making, uh, that does require some extraordinary proof. And uh, he is proffering none of that. And in fact, his own lawyers basically, um, well, we'll get to that later, but uh, they don't seem entirely confident in it either. No, we should say that this all coincides with him basically visiting a reservation in Arizona, trying to get himself off lithium. So he starts taking peyote. Mm-hmm. And I think it does like, I mean, he's, he credits the peyote experience. And I think uh, significant numbers of experiences following that initial one with getting him off the lithium, getting him straight, and then, you know, showing him the way towards mental and physical clarity, which, you know, okay, he becomes fucking obsessed with peyote. Yeah, he starts traveling frequently to Mexico, where I think a lot of peyote is grown, although some of it's also grown in Texas, um, which should be Mexico. But uh, he gets really into this. And in the matter of just a few short years, he actually becomes the vice president of the, and I'm going to fuck this up, Ashi Beto Native American Church. Beto? Mm-hmm. It's started by Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> uh, and he becomes the, quote, spiritual leader of the Oklava Band of Seminole Indians in Florida. All right. So, by the way, they, as far as I can tell, and again, no expert on this stuff, as far as I can tell, the Oklahoma Band of Seminole Indians is not federally recognized. Yes. Um, but they also no longer recognize Mooney as a member. So, there we go. Take, take of that as what you will. I don't know what – take of that of what you will? What the fuck People know is what that? you're saying. They know, Just you know what I mean. mouth through it like I do. <laughs> it's all confidence, baby. So he is still a practicing Mormon. In fact, he says that he is counseled by Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, church leaders, on how to combine <sighs> these religious practices. I hate now, combo religions. I know. I, I, I This gotta episode say, is full of combo religions. What's I don't called like, syncretic religions. I know. I don't like anything syncretic. Me neither. I'm going to be real with that. Think of one syncretic thing that you like. Think of one. Pizza Hut Taco Bell. Well, no, because that's not even syncretic. Those are Pizza Hut, no hyphen, Taco Bell. It's two things inhabiting the, the same. Hyphen, hyphen's implied. It's not. You can't imply a hyphen. You would just do a hyphen. You think they can't afford the little bit of extra ink? No. They can, Liz. It's a very successful pair of businesses that happen to save money by sharing a facility. I'm thinking of things that I don't like that are syncretic, like anarcho-communism. Awful. Anarcho-syndicalism. Awful. Uh, an- oh, check this one out. Anarcho-feminism. Didn't know that existed. Oh, yeah. Um, you know what's a good one? What? Romaine Stamos. Ooh, that is a good one.
Okay, so at this point, you know, he's now dating and then marries a woman named Linda, mm. who she has even less. I mean, there is zero proof that either of these people are Native American. And, you know, I'm not going around asking people, you know, what, show what, me yeah. show me your papers or whatever. But I got to be real. For this guy, I'm like, show me a paper, at least. <laughs> like one paper that has anything. Linda's like, she's not even, she's just like, yeah, I'm Native American too. Um, so he takes all this shit and runs with it. He actually begins conducting his own ceremonies and begins actually working with prisoners using sweat, using sweat lodges and pipe ceremonies. Um, yeah, he got like a citizen's award of commendation for this from the governor, Mike Lovett, uh, who is, that's a really interesting last name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He's the brother of a Utah County DA, David Levitt. It's a very small world. Mm. So Mooney basically worked at prisons until 1997 and actually listed on his Facebook page. Um, But there's something a little different that it says on his Facebook page than he maybe says in his other biographies. Yeah, it seems he claims on his Facebook page that he spent four and a half years undercover with the state of Utah and the Washington County Drug Task Force. So that is not something that appears in any other biography of him. I don't know. I mean, the guy is literally his career is based on lying to people yes. about his race and, and about everything else, everything else, spiritual practices, everything. Yeah, you'll so, see through the rest of the episode, he lies constantly, constantly about just um, like stuff that's fact. Yes. Yeah. 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 So he actually gets fired from the Department of Corrections in 1997. Uh, the reason, the only reason I could find, I've read a lot about this guy, is that. He was late for a meeting. I got to be real here. There is no way this guy was ever on time for any meetings. So I'm going to need a better explanation than that. Yeah. You need, Uh, yep, second paper check. Yeah, yeah. So in 97, later that same year, he actually incorporates the Oklahoma Earthwalks Native American Church in the state of Utah. Now that is a tax-exempt, nonprofit religious organization. Yes, the ONAC, to be clear. Yes. So that same year, they become, they say, legally able to buy peyote from dealers in Texas, which is the only state where selling it is legal, although that has many caveats, due to their qualifying on three counts. One, Mooney claims to be at least one quarter Indian blood. This is taken from legal documents. I'm not, you know. That gets a little complicated to explain in this because a lot of times American people call themselves Indians, so that's what I'm going with. That's the legal minimum. He is also, two, a member of a recognized Native American church. And three, he says he was intending to acquire the peyote for, quote, bona fide religious purposes. This is a quote from Mooney about it. I believe that this is the only way that a certain group of humans can get close to God. And there's no other way. This religion could never keep on without this peyote. The truth is, though, is that that same year in 97, he was fired by the Ashi Beto Native American Church and had his membership in the Seminole tribe revoked. He actually kept using his IDs for both of those organizations. That's an old trick. Mm-hmm. And used the blessing of a Native American in South Dakota as an excuse to procure peyote. The actual story, which we don't have enough time to, uh, to get into, about him getting the blessing from the, the South Dakota guy is crazy because he went into this guy's... De- on his deathbed, he like burst into this guy's room and is like, 
uh, I want to sell peyote. And the guy was like, you have my blessing, but then just died. And so the guy's son was like, I saw him say he has his blessing. Yeah. Oh boy. So it was during this period in the mid nineties that Mooney was administering peyote to Brad, the guy whose timeline we went over in the last episode. Six months after raping Brad, Hamblin calls him, Brad, out of the blue and connects him to Mooney for, quote, medicine ceremonies. Hamblin seems to be intimately involved in Mooney's ceremonies and work. In fact, he actually was the spokesman for the ONAC in the 2000s. And much of Mooney's work seems to have revolved around treating victims of sexual assault. So to be clear, Hamblin, who at this point is known to be a sexual abuser by several people involved in this entire process, as we went over in the last episode, is is being involved in ceremonies or like ther- basically like th- spiritual healing, deep healing, peyote ceremonies uh, for victims of sexual assault and other things too. But it's just totally absurd to me. Yeah, it's it's absolutely absurd. So Mooney actually claims he resigned from the Ashi Beto Native American Church over disagreements with the head with excuse me with the head of the the Ashi Beto uh, on allowing non Indians to become members. Yeah, this is a huge thing for Mooney. He he's like called rules like this racist, and he said that about um, some Supreme Court rulings that we're we're going to talk about in a little bit as well. His lawyer said, I mean, this was his a quote from him: "You don't have to be Italian to be part of the Roman Catholic Church." <laughs> Okay. That blood-oriented idea is brought to us from the federal government, the same government that brought us the Trail of Tears. So my question here is, who is us? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right, totally. Because I don't believe, I mean, listen, I'm not the biggest history guy, but I don't believe that like Mormons from California were really heavily affected by the Trail of Tears. Also, I believe that there's a significant portion of the Roman Catholics, Catholic Church's history where they really, I mean, they don't really care if you're Italian. They're happy to take on, you know, uh, plenty of other (laughs) people from all different countries as they expanded outwards, kind of empire-like. Yes. um, That it really wasn't a, really wasn't a problem for them. Yeah. And Mooney's whole thing is that basically no other NAC leaders agree with him. And so, uh, it appear, yeah, they're, they're, let's just say they have unorthodox spiritual practices that they're bringing into this. So Mooney starts treating all kinds of people, uh, including the family member of a Novell executive who gives him $500,000, which he promptly spends on a six-bedroom house and which causes about half of his followers to leave. So what he's doing at this point is like – to be clear, the ONAC's entire modus operandi is basically peyote ceremonies. That's it. Yeah. So, like, he's just giving these people peyote and, like, being their, like, trip guide. Yeah. This is, you know, this is, like, the mid, I'd say, so this is, like, late 90s, almost Y2K time. Mm-hmm. But really, like, 98, 99 that we're talking about. 97, 98, 99. Um, but might have a flavor of some things you've heard about today which are back in style, these kind of, um, let's say, like guru style, uh, new agey kind of trips, let's say gooping, people Mm -hmm. that goop out. But this is pre-goop. This is pre-goop. This is like Gen X goop. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is actually the stock that I come from. (laughs) No, Gen X, my parents, no, my parents are antebellum. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. I love you, dad. 
So uh, the difference between ONAC and basically any other Native American church, which also a lot of them do peyote ceremonies as well, is actually the ONAC charges for peyote ceremonies. Yeah. yeah. So when the cops raid eventually, and they, they do raid him in 2000, they found around 12,000 buttons of peyote. So they knew this as they'd intercepted a bunch of packages from Texas filled with peyote addressed to the church. So Mooney is suddenly hit with 11 felony drug charges. Linda's hit with three first-degree felony char- drug charges. They'd be also being charged with racketeering. And around the same time, Hamblin, in connection to them, is busted on a single count of felony drug possession involving peyote. He becomes the church's spokesman, driving them into coalition with a group of bigamists, including a coalition of people seeking to free Tom Green, the polygamist that Hamblin's friend, neighbor, and future unindicted co-conspirator, Utah County DA David Levin, had prosecuted. Yes. All of that we detailed in episode one, the original Salt Soak City. Wait, is that mm-hmm. what it's called? That's called that right now. They don't know what I'm talking. It's like four episodes ago. If they're confused. They can just look back on Salt the thing. Soak City? Soak Lake City. Sc- Soak Lake City. There we go. Salt Soak City is kind of funny. So we need to do a stop right here. And Liz, you need to talk about peyote. Oh my God. I'm like the last person to talk about this. But I think it is important for us because we also have to talk about ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. So what is peyote? What is ayahuasca? Let's talk about it. Peyote is a cactus that contains an alkaloid called mescaline. All right. Tequila. (laughs) It's different in structure from other psychedelics like LSD, DMT, psilocybin. Um, It's more similar, funny enough, to amphetamines and MDMA. Um, Though it's obviously famous for like a totally different high. It's like very trippy, like, Mm -hmm. you know, hallucinogen, you touch God, whatever. So it doesn't it doesn't feel like ecstasy or speed, um, but it's actually more similar in structure to that. It lasts a super super long time. It goes on for like twelve hours. Um, some people will remember like the entirety of a Sopranos episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there is actually weirdly enough a long intertwined history between peyote and the Mormon Church, which is weird. The grandson of Joseph Smith, Frederick M. Smith, or Fred M as his followers call him, was a super big fan of peyote. He said that he was using the drug to find the higher powers of man. This is kind of classic, not classico, but classic uh, descriptor of peyote. In fact, sounds exactly like James Mooney. But this dude, Fred M., he participated in a ton of Native American peyote ceremonies and wanted to introduce it into the practice basically as a sacrament in his the reorganized church of jesus christ of latter-day saints because this is after the mormon wars right which is very weird um peyote was you know at the turn of the century it was pretty restricted on indian reservations there's kind of been a little rewriting of some history here most of them actually really prohibited it Um, but there were small groups that were really promoting this stuff really like mystical kind Mm -hmm. of offshoots of more centralized tribes. And in 1918, Congress tries to ban it as a narcotic. Peyote leaders, these kind of, this kind of like small group, along with a group of ethnographers, this is like, you know, look, we're talking about this is the turn of the century, 1918. 
anthropology is huge. I know people. Everyone actually, is measuring everyone's skulls. Yes, I, I, you know, I was gonna say I'll make a joke about the store anthropology, but I actually don't know what they said. <laughs> yeah, everyone's wearing floofy, ill-fitting like apron dresses. A woman, yeah, they sell like in my With, head, like, anthrop- bir- oversized bird print or whatever. They're they selling sell. like a that like that's like where where women are like, I love this potato sack dress. That I <laughs> yeah, got. where cottage cheese goes twee. What? <laughs> Our Is lady like, listeners will know what I'm saying. I do. That's wow. I've, if I use that on a woman, will it work? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, these guys, this is like the era of like Indiana Jones guys, but more racist. Yes, absolutely. Um, so a group of like peyote leaders and ethnographers, AKA a bunch of those Indiana Jones types who are, who've gone on safari and have taken a bunch of peyote and are like, damn, this rocks. They go to testify in front of Congress, um, in order in like defense of its use and not banning it as a, as a narcotic. This included, a man, and this is true, by the name of James Mooney. Now, this is not our James Mooney, whose, uh, you know, as he likes to say, middle name, Indian name is Flaming Eagle. This is mm. not James Flaming Eagle Mooney. This is James Mooney, 100% affirmed white man, who was an ethnologist with the Smithsonian and, you know, is claimed by some to have been the first white man to participate in an all-night peyote ceremony. And by some, I mean the ONAC, Oklahoma Native American Church, headed by James Flaming Eagle Mooney. So to be clear here, James Mooney, the James Flaming Eagle Mooney, says that his real grandfather, who he actually does know the name of, who's from Ireland, is commonly understood not to be his real grandfather, but that James Mooney <laughs> actually secretly fucked his grandmother... <laughs> And the baby is his. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. So peyote actually is really used as a sacrament by like legit Native American churches. Mm. Um, I mean, to be clear here, like there's no one set of like Native American spiritual beliefs, right? Like peoples that span a whole continent. You know, it's obviously there's very different religious practices all over. But Native American churches were, I believe, actually started in like 1918 or or they're around. And um they are actually, as we'll get to later, legally allowed to use peyote in spiritual ceremonies. But there's just a big difference between how a lot of these or how the legit ones operate as opposed to something like the ONAC. Yeah. So kind of to explain why they're able to use that, we actually weirdly have to explain <laughs> ayahuasca, mm-hmm. which is like, funny enough, these are two very different drugs. And their uh, their histories of use and I'd say like, kind of legal carve-outs for both uh, ayahuasca and peyote. Like the, these are kind of intertwined. So we have to like, we weirdly have to talk about both. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So ayahuasca is different from peyote. It is a brew. Like mate. <laughs> and it, it actually combines two plants, a vine and a leaf. Um, and it's usually an ayahuasca vine and a, I don't know, a chacruna or a caliponga leaf. Okay. And it's the leaves that go into the tea that contain the DMT. Okay. So this is the thing. I've never done DMT. Have you ever done DMT? No. I, everyone's like- I've seen that movie. Does that count? What's the movie? <laughs> the What's it called? Um, the uh, Enter the Void? No. It's about doing DMT? It's No. It's like supposed to be about like the moment that 
you went like what your brain experiences, the chemical reaction your brain experiences when you die. And it's supposed to be like the release, one of the releases of DMT or something. I don't know. My thing is though, I'm going to, you know, I'll get to that in like four or five years when I die. I don't, I'm not looking for that. You're not, you're not dying. I'm not going to die in five years or ever if my experiments go right. (laughs) Um, I've never done DMT, but every time someone's like, oh man, I've been doing DMT. I'm like, and every time their description of it sounds nightmarish. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was like an alien sucking my spleen out of my body. And then I saw a machine elf. Why would you do, have you heard of something like heroin? Just go to bed. Just do heroin. Oh yeah. I smoked some shit off a tinfoil, made a funny little design, and then I felt incredible. I felt better. I felt like I was God. And I just lied back and scratched my belly and everything never got addicted to it. Or just go to dinner with your friends and have a nice conversation. Like, oh no, you need to smoke the indica strain of DMT. It's like way more calming. (laughs) We should say too, like DMT, it's naturally produced by the human brain, but it's also you know, naturally produced in other plants and animals. Yeah. So when it's purified or um, extracted and smoked, it produces like super intense or short hallucinations. But taking it orally does like absolutely nothing because our digestive system has an enzyme that like breaks down the DMT before it can go into the, you know, into your bloodstream and do a bunch of woo-woo stuff. So that's where the tea comes in, right? So the ayahuasca, the vine, contains stuff that actually inhibits the enzyme in your body. So when you mix the vine with the leaf and you make the brew, it renders the tea hallucinogenic. Isn't that interesting? That is. I prefer a little drink that you actually take out of a child's spine when you scare him <laughs> enough. <laughs> and it actually makes you feel younger. It's kind of like, what's the shit women put on? By... Uh, by what do we put they're on? Always, they're always burning your faces with it. But what? What's the shit that women put in their face? Ret, ret, retinol. Oh, retinol? Yeah. Oh my retinol. God. Yeah, it's just like that. Okay, so... It is illegal though, right? Yeah. Peyote and mescaline, um, like ayahuasca, all three schedule one substance, meaning it's regulated by Congress and classified along with heroin, ecstasy, LSD, and funny enough still, marijuana, as having no accepted medical use and a very high potential for abuse, to quote the DEA, Brace's old boss. Mm-hmm. And nemesis. Um, <laughs> but unlike heroin, ecstasy, and LSD, Ayahuasca is usually used in kind of like ritual settings with very overt religious overtones. Well, I I mean, I know several people, I know a bunch of people have done ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's usually like, if not like religious, like a spiritual setting, you know, like you go. So, I mean, I think it's pretty yeah. intense high. It's frankly, I seems- think it's kind of a chicken or the egg situation though. It's like, which yeah. came first? Yeah. You know I, what I, I think- mean? From what I understand, I got to be real with you. Every mm. description I've heard of taking ayahuasca sounds awful. Yeah. It sounds not fun. I am personally of the belief that there is not really actually a lot of potential. Like I think a lot of people take psychedelics of various kinds to get like spiritual insights or, you know, regular insights. 
I got to be real. I, I think that's a, I don't think that those are really lasting things. I think you mm. feel like you have an insight because you're really high and then maybe that's a residual effect after a while. But yeah. I personally, um, the only insight I, mean, I remember take, I took acid one time and I was like, Oh my God, this changed my outlook on everything. And then a few days later I was like, what? I realized that like, we're all connected and like, <laughs> Oh, some patterns in nature also appear in like man-made things like, yeah, big fucking whoop. That's something you could just think. Yeah. Do you really need drugs point. to get there? No, but I needed, I did need drugs to get there, but not there, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. So there's basically only two religions that claim to use ayahuasca for specific sacrament purposes. The Santo Dame. Oh my God. I can't pronounce any of this. Is that Portuguese? <sighs> yeah. Santo Dame. <laughs> do you want to do this one? Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, I am, I, I'm not like Brazilian, but I have had a certain surgery that does have the word Brazilian in it. Oh my so God. it's Santo Daime and the Uniao de Vegetal. <laughs> yeah, we'll say UDV for short. Mm -hmm. These are both, you know, little callback, what we would call syncretic religions, meaning they combine two religions to make them one. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, we're talking about basically blending. Indigenous traditions uh, from Brazil, right, where both of these religions emerge out of, and Christianity. So basically, imagine the very fun and not at all controversial hierarchical organizations and institutions that are found in European Christianity uh -huh. mixed with, like, the shamanic spiritualism of unknown South American provenance. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So Th that both doesn't of sound, these... None of, not all that sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, and they're also not like ancient <laughs> religions, yeah. we'll say, um, which is why I kind of I'm going to throw out their little like chicken or the egg question regarding the ayahuasca practices. Um, these all these both come out of Brazil, uh, South America, kind of spreads a little bit to Peru. But how does it come to America? You might be asking me, Brace. How does it come to America? <laughs> Good question, Brace. For that, we have to actually thank a man named Jeffrey Brumpman. No! <laughs> Jeffrey Brumpman? Yeah, talk about synchronic, right? <laughs> surely this man cannot be related to any other Brumpman we've talked about. How many, I feel like any subject we get into, how many Brumpmans are there? I'm so lucky. There's, there's like so th many Brumpmans. There's like three Beldens. And so like none of them, like, I don't you know. You know, I like just saw a friend's act. Published a book. <laughs> I don't know if I'm related to him, but Franzak did. Yeah, someone named with a Franzak last name published a book. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Wow. Yeah. Anti-racist baby. No. <laughs> this looks great. <sighs> so Jeffrey Bronfman is actually the second cousin to Edgar Bronfman Jr. Okay, so they could legally have sex and have a kid. <laughs> yeah, they probably did too. He's the grandnephew to the OG Samuel Bronfman. Now, let's, you know, let's go back th into our little memory hole here. Little little mind grapes. The Bronfman family is the old <laughs> What, you never heard of mind grapes? Mind grapes? <laughs> Go the on. Bronfman family is the old school Canadian American institution uh, the, uh, that uh, owns Seagrams, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Samuel Samuel Bronfman is basically the 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 old patriarch, the the first patriarch. He's the one who acquired and managed Seagrams. He started it as a bootlegger, 
with his brother, Harry. Uh, they worked for the mob in New York, Chicago, Boston during Prohibition. This is all he worked with Meyer Lansky. This is all like fun, super old school, um, you know, Prohibition era kind of history stuff. That's great. Um, we don't really get into that stuff very often. Mm-mm. It's not really our bag, but I no. like that kind of stuff. I'm a neo-prohibitionist, so I don't think yeah. – I think that you should – I think you should either – if you drink, you should have to drink every single day all day or you're not allowed to drink at all. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's a novel one and nothing else has worked at curbing alcoholism. <laughs> so Samuel Brumpman, he had two sons, Edgar and Charles. Edgar passed the family biz down to his son, Edgar Jr., mm-hmm. who not only was convicted himself for insider trading and whose name is listed, of course, in – Epstein's little black book, but his half sister Claire was just convicted in the Nexium sex trafficking case. So that's, I mean, there's a lot more to Sarah Bronfman. Yeah. Her sister also was married to a guy who, in the aftermath of Libya's revolution, tried to take over the country. Also, a Nexium member. Um, he's a Libyan businessman, uh, and of course. Jeffrey Epstein, I didn't he leave his first job because he was maybe doing something a little funky with Seagram's too? Yeah, yeah. He was definitely working with Seagram's on a, mer- on a potential merger when he was at Bear Stearns. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, the Bronfen family is very in- intertwined with Leslie Wexner as well, Epstein's patron. And yeah. gay lover. <laughs> yeah, the other brother, Charles, he was the co-founder of the Mega Group along with Wexner. So this is all suffice to say that, like, the Bronfman family is deeply, deeply historically intertwined with all different facets of the spooky dark underworld that runs mm-hmm. both Canada and the U.S. and beyond. So Jeffrey... We're talking about Jeffrey Brumfman is the head of the first American branch of the Brazilian church UDV. He brings it to the U.S. in 1992 after he goes on what I can only describe as a traditional rich kid rumspringa down in the Amazon. Um, he does a bunch of drugs and convinces himself that he's now a drug priest. He is the mestra of the church, um, a.k.a. the head clergy of his little temple, which he built in Arroyo Hondo, New Mexico. Not at all a creepy place, and no. not at all close to the both the Santa Fe Institute and Jeffrey Epstein's Zorro Ranch. And it's it's interesting too that he chose cleric as well because generally, like they're focused on like healing spells and buffs, and can usually only use like blunt weapons. Whereas, like in New Mexico, I would prefer like a long range, like a ranger or like a druid that can summon animals or something like that. So, well, what his choice was there, it's a little unclear. Okay, so why are we talking about him? What does he have to do with Mooney? Okay. Bronfman's church in New Mexico, it gets raided in 1999, and the Fed sees about 30 gallons of Huasca tea, a.k.a. ayahuasca tea. UDV then sues the federal government, saying that this violated their right to freely exercise their religion. And this goes on for, like, I don't know, five years. UDV, you know, to their credit, I guess, wins, like, almost every appeal in, like, you know, in the government – the, they continue to file for more stays and it could, you know, moves up the appeals ladder. It finally gets to the Supreme Court in 2005. And by 2006, there's a pretty monumental decision. Um, the Supreme Court case was decided eight to zero. And funny enough, actually, Samuel Alito sat out 
Well, which, a little asterisk there. Alito actually was apparently, he said that he was learning a lot about himself and that he's a seeker of the truth. And that this is actually during the period where Samuel Alito became a light worker. <laughs> it's so annoying, though, because you know that that Supreme Court justices don't have to detail why they recuse themselves from cases. Really? Yeah. They, they don't have to no say. Call, no show? Yeah. There's like um, a couple like watchdog groups uh that go into trying to figure out why uh certain judges will recuse themselves and they'll see like oh they have holdings in these companies that are plaintiffs or you know whatever not plaintiffs but you know uh involved in the case it usually has to do with um investment like <laughs> you know uh usually that but I, I couldn't find any watchdog groups that were around this time because I'm very curious what Alito like what um, conflict of interest there was in this case. Um, but so basically the Bush admin DOJ, cause that's when this was 2006, they argued that there was a special and historical relationship between native American tribes and the federal government that granted them the special carve out in a controlled substance act, which allows for them to use peyote in bona fide religious ceremonies. Right. Yeah. At this time, Roberts disagrees with this, Chief Justice Roberts, and says that the government has never explained what is so unique about the relationship that affords the U.S. the right to carve out that exception for Native American churchgoers as opposed to members of, like, say, in this case, Bronfman's UDV, who is not Native American. Mm-hmm. Um. This is a quote from it. Nothing about the unique political status of the tribes makes their members immune from the health risks the government asserts accompanying the use of a Schedule One substance. So it's worth mentioning that like several delegations from the Native American church protested the comparison, (laughs) as I assume makes sense. I mean, there's basically saying like, you know, UDV is distorting and misrepresenting the unique responsibility that the Native American church feels it has regarding their peyote exemption. And the comparison is like completely unwarranted. Um, This is a quote from the coverage at the time. Church leaders fear their rights are at risk if exemptions for peyote and other drugs are granted to non-Indians. Some cite a recent case in Utah where a self-proclaimed medicine man who is not enrolled in any tribe escaped prosecution for possession of peyote. So you might remember from just about 10 minutes ago in this episode, when we were talking about how James Flaming Eagle Mooney, a non self-proclaimed non-medicine uh, man who is not enrolled in any tribe, uh, was under a lot of, um, let's say, heavy charges about his possession of and administering peyote to non-natives. Yes. So the Supreme Court rules that, uh, again, 8-0, that UDV can absolutely have an exemption carve-out and that it has nothing to do with whether they're Native American for their bona fide ayahuasca ceremonies, right? Their bona fide religious ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And it's after this landmark decision that Mooney's case in Utah is dropped, funny enough, and the ONAC just revs up its churches, buoyed by this SCOTUS case. And he really shouldn't have done that because this decision actually has nothing to do with Mooney or the ONAC enterprise at all, even though moving forward, they cite it at any possible moment they have. Yeah. And then in fact, I think even actually give people um, like little sovereign citizen style cards that say you're a member of ONAC and that you can use drugs because of your religion. 
Yes, they absolutely do. It's funny because the U.S. Attorney's Office does drop the case against Mooney, the, the, all those felony charges. The, they drop them the day after the SCOTUS decision comes out, but it had nothing to do with it. Um, Linda and James Flaming Eagle Mooney, they had signed a deal with the feds that they would no longer possess or distribute peyote about a week prior to the SCOTUS decision. But they're able to kind of use that in their marketing materials, like moving forward and in the, the way that they talk to reporters to make it look like the Utah dropped the case because of the SCOTUS decision. They didn't, they, they couldn't now, they could no longer prosecute James and Linda for the peyote. Does that Interesting. Sense? Yes, that does make sense. Yeah. And it just seems like a lot of the post 2006 Mooney and ONAC activity is basically based on two things. One an incorrect reading of the SCOTUS decision in the Bromfman case. Yes. And two, misapplying their victory in the Utah 2004 suit to their business enterprise. So we're getting real into the legalese here. But prior to the deal with the feds, Mooney's lawyers in a pretrial motion to get the 10 felony counts dismissed argued that the federal exemption encompasses them because they're members of the Native American church. And at first, the courts rejected this, saying that it didn't work as an argument because the Moonies aren't members of any federally recognized tribe, right? Which we talked about. Mm. Then, in a twist, a legal twist, the Utah Supreme Court reverses that, saying they didn't need to be members of a federally recognized tribe so long as they were members of the church, Native American church, to be covered by the federal exemption in Utah only. To be clear, the ONAC has been basically totally uh, distanced from the actual like Council of Native American, like the, the, the Council of Native American Churches that governs Native American churches across the country is like they're not part of us. Like we're not actually, we don't actually recognize them. But the sort of language around this stuff can be really loose and. Uh, they are still essentially saying that that doesn't matter. We are a Native American church because of this one guy in South Dakota who was dying who blessed the church. Yes. And regardless of the decision, the case doesn't actually go any further because the Moonies reach a deal with the feds. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is around, again, the same time that Hamblin himself, who is doesn't even claim to be Native American, also a white Mormon, uh, he gets his case dropped for essentially similar reasons. He's like, I'm not Native American, but I am a member of a Native American church, and that allows me to use peyote as a sacrament because it's part of my spiritual beliefs. So basically, between these two cases, the ONAC starts advertising and is like, yeah, basically anyone can use drugs if they just say it's for religion, which is not true. <laughs> no. No, it's not true. People have been trying that for a really long time, and I got to say, it's a smart move. But it really falls apart. Well, actually, it doesn't always fall apart because I guess it did work for them in that specific case in Utah. Um, but it really falls apart for a lot of their franchisees. Yeah. And this is where they really like rev it up. Like I said, they start advertising these kind of franchise opportunities by basically saying like, we offer legal protection for your peyote churches. If you want to start a peyote church under the auspices of the ONAC, you're covered legally. And they cite all, of, they cite both the Bronfman case and like his win in this like pretrial motion in the Utah Supreme Court, as if that's a full case, which it's not, as evidence for people opening that. Which is just not true. It's all fake. 
Well, and bringing it back again too. Not only are they still licensing these sort of like peyote retreat kind of companies, I mean, excuse me, churches, but they also get into ayahuasca. Yes. So there's this like, yeah, out of this grows this like small, but it's like, I don't know, it's not that small. Maybe it's more like localized and regional, but this like cottage industry of peyote and ayahuasca like you say, quote, churches, companies, whatever, offering, quote, ceremonies, various, quote, healings, you know, much like the one Mooney went through himself many decades ago, many moons mm-hmm. ago. Um, but a lot of them are, I mean, I would say almost all of them or all of them are just new age scam artists. Like there's this famous case um, involving one of these branches of the ONAC um, called Ayahuasca Healings that is headed by a guy named Trinity de Guzman. Who, <laughs> this is like, name. yeah, great name. A lot of great names in this story. That This is a, another rabbit hole that is too long to go into, but there was like a big PR push behind this. Yeah. It, was, it was profiled in Daily Beast and Vice and a bunch of those like, kind of like wanderlog style travel blogs mm-hmm. um, as the first legal ayahuasca church. Liz, actually, I want to make a correction there. Um, I I know you didn't say this, but I feel like you implied it, but like not all who wander are lost. (laughs) I'm not like an authority on press releases. However, when you are decidedly not a legal ayahuasca church, it is probably a bad idea to spam internet blogs with stories and profiles proclaiming that you are, in fact, a legal ayahuasca church. Um, And it it turns out to be a big problem for ayahuasca healings. They were charging about $1,500 to $2,000 in donations, as they say, for the full ayahuasca experience at their retreat center that they had opened in Washington. That's a ton of money. It's a ton of money, yeah. I mean, the the real estate and land scams that are also involved with this, that's a whole other, like, leg of it. Um, it's a really kind of crazy industry, actually. If you look at this guy's Instagram, and I really encourage you to do so, the best way to describe what's being sold here is basically, like, indigenous-flavored prosperity gospel. Like, it's yes. basically all do this, drink this, take this, hope this, manifest this, drink the tea, and you're going to have the key to all your dreams. You just have to donate. You know, it's just that same same bullshit dressed up in, you know, gooped fake, out. Yeah, it's gooped out. Fake native gooped out. Yeah, it is. Ayahuasca Healings basically starts falling apart about a year later after, after their um, little PR push. Because, like, a, a, there's one whistleblower that comes forward and posts, like, a bunch of YouTubes where they're like, there's no indigenous people involved in this. They're not involved in any operations. There's not even any religious elders. Um, they're also like reiterating that Ayahuasca Healings was telling people that the retreats held in the U.S. were legal when everyone in the company knew that they weren't. And that finally gets the attention of the National Council of Native American Churches, who like for- has to then formally denounce and like distance themselves, not just from Ayahuasca Healings, but from the ONAC, Mooney's Church, who, remember, Ayahuasca Healings is under the GSF. Um, And that finally gets the attention of the DEA, who sends a fun, strongly worded letter, basically shutting down Ayahuasca Healings' U.S. operations. They actually still operate these sort of retreats in Peru. Um, And there's a lot of people that are operating these sort of kind of like, um, let's say, spiritual New Age tourist traps in South American countries 
then a couple of these places have some pretty harrowing stories of abuse and things going wrong. Well, we went down some deep rabbit holes with that. I remember those Tantra videos I sent you the other day. I mean, it wasn't, to be clear, it wasn't Tantra videos. It was a actually much worse than that. It appeared to be a uh, poly improv troupe from San Diego, yeah. uh, including one person who, with the last name Mooney, who I, I'm assuming with no proof, but you know what? We're assuming a lot of ancestry with no proof. In fact, we're not. The Moonies themselves assert a lot of ancestry with no proof. So I'm going to assert that this woman in this poly video that's somehow connected to the ONAC, uh, whose last name is Mooney, is in fact his daughter. It's crazy that there can be something worse than tantric, and it and it's true that it's poly improv. Here's my thing though: tantric. It's like having like I have are sex you, like, like getting this? into position right now. Well, I'm sorry. This is actually a really. This is called the, this is called the one legged swan. But I'm like, it just seems like it's it's stretching. Str- you're stretching. You're going flaming eagle style right now. Mm-hmm. This is actually this one. No, this is the flaming eagle right <laughs> here. That one. My whole thing is that's just the bridge t- pose. Tantric, yeah, it's the bridge pose, the bridge from my yoni to your yoni. Ew. It's my thing with tantric sex is I'm like, great, sex is hard enough as it is. All of the fraud emotions, you know, the the talks afterwards, the pleading, the begging, my weeping, and it's like now I have to stretch. Are you kidding me? This is I already have to fucking smoke the whole time, anyways, to calm my nerves. Mm. And it's like, <laughs> women love it when you chomp a big cigar while you're having sex with them. <laughs> when you have the big sandwich next year. <laughs> yeah, no, on, you're on just... On your bedside table, right? Sex is about love between a man and a woman, not a man and a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I, I'm watching, I'm fucking watching YouTube on my phone. I've got a cigar in my mouth. I'm chewing gum. I'm on speakerphone with the whole fam being like, check this out. <laughs> Listen, you hear those really light, Sort of annoyed sounding breasts. That's another person. So my um, boys jumping on the bed. <laughs> yeah, I'm soaking right now. How do you feel about that, Dad? Um, so luckily my dad doesn't know how to access the Patreon. So even though he does listen to some episodes, he will not be listening to this one. Aww. I know. I'm gonna send him a clip. So uh Mooney's all right. So we, you know, obviously Liz said, and we both said that. The ONAC essentially starts licensing its name out to like other, let's say, companies that want to legally sell drugs, essentially. Yeah. Mooney also licenses his church to anybody that wants to sell weed as well, which weed is a little more high profile than ayahuasca. And a lot of people kind of want to get into this. Keep in mind, this is 2009, or like, you know, the time period where this really starts ramping up. And so lead is weed is far less legal. Of course, it's still not federally legal, but I don't think it's I mean, maybe I think it's medical medical in California, but like hadn't really spread to a lot of other states by then. In fact, that same year his son, Michael Mooney, splits from his dad's church and starts his own Native American church and uh, in Hawaii, and he tries to argue in court that his group was using weed as a sacrament slash Eucharist. Now, he and I actually read the court documents from this. And they're trying to ask him like what his religion believes. And it's so clear that he literally hadn't thought of an answer to that. <laughs> that he's just like, uh, we believe in like um getting closer to each other. And um you, you know how if you like type what someone's saying and you include all the ums, yeah, yeah, that yeah. It makes them look stupid even if they're smart. Mm. This guy 
there's no ums, and he looks like every other word would be a um. Mm. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever read. Of course, he loses that case. Um, there's a whole mess of these, which is like there's way too many to even get into, but this is pretty indicative of uh, how this franchising goes. In 2014, a group of Mooney's, quote, followers were busted planting weed on an actual sacred Native American site near Klamath in California that an actual real Native group had been trying to acquire from its owners for years. Uh, they're caught basically trying to plant weed here, like act- plant actual weed plants. Uh, the local band of Native Americans actually said that they never used marijuana in their ceremonies or in their tribe's history. And it was really fucked up that essentially all these white people had come up here and dug a bunch of holes and put a bunch of weed plants in on this sacred site that these guys had actually been trying to acquire. So that is fairly indicative of exactly how this goes. So I've looked at a full list of all the ONAC franchisees. Um, it appears that one of them is a drive through weed place. Mm. And and it looks like really like Mooney found he kind of struck gold by essentially licensing his name to anybody yeah. who really wanted to at least have a like fly by night kind of like weed dispensary. Makes sense because he his name he basically took as a license. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Mooney gets a little too big for his britches and decides to get into the sex trade. <laughs> So the ONAC eventually begins to sanction what it calls sexual healing practices. Keep in mind here, the only reason that we're talking about James Flaming Eagle Mooney is because it seems very likely that he knew about and helped cover up sexual abuse by his lieutenant, David Hamblin. Allegedly. I don't believe that. I'm just reporting what I have read. Um, we're an aggregate, like Hunting- Huffington Post. Yeah. Or the Huntington Ringer. Post. Or the Ringer. Yes, we are like the Ringer. So the ONAC starts sanctioning sexual healing temples. Uh, he gives his blessing to up to four, as far as I know, goddess temples, quote, goddess temples, yeah, as part I- of the <laughs> Oklahoma Native American Church brand. So <laughs> these, these are tantric temples run by a woman named Tracy Elise. Mm hmm. And from what I can gather, Tracy actually is a true blue, like, tantric believer. Mm. But, I mean, from what I understand, I don't know a lot about tantra, you know? But from what I understand, like, the actual, like, practice of tantra is very different than, like, the, like, sex dice kind of tantra that people practice in the U.S. Um, That's, like, it seems like there's a kind of a lot of, like, it's just, like, a new agey thing that a lot of white people are into in America. Um, you know, she is a believer there of it, in it, rather. But she also did definitely run a brothel <laughs> that uh essentially you go to and um, you know, it's called a temple. You leave a donation of like uh, several hundred dollars to six hundred dollars, and you receive free of charge after making a donation to the temple, a sexual act, including and I got to say, the reporting on this stuff, every single article I read mentioned prostate massages. Okay. Now, how you can give a massage up a butthole, I don't know. You know, not a tantra guy. But that seems a little, uh, what, do you got a little guy going in there and fucking netting it? I don't understand that. Like a tiny little man, like from Gulliver's Travels. Okay. This, I don't, okay. So, um, 
they get busted by the Maricopa County Sheriff's Department, who <laughs> I got to say, it, it, they are the Maricopa County Sheriff's Department is basically like the, the biggest scumbags in America. Yeah, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're fucking like, remember when they like federally investigated that guy? Like, nothing really happened. I think yeah. he got charged with a couple of things, but I feel like he never did any jail time. That guy was like a, like a, that guy would have made like, um, he would have been a great governor general of Poland uh, hey. during the Second World War. Well, oh, he would have. Okay. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have made a great German governor general. There of you Poland go. There you during go. the Second World War, yeah. um, they arrested nearly every single temple worker, or as they called them, goddesses, in 2011, and ended up in a big case against Tracy Elise that lasted for years. Now, from what I can tell, happened here is that James Mooney probably like was like, "Hey, uh, if you actually want to like." not get busted you just got to say it's a religion and i'll sell you for like you know maybe thirty thousand twenty thousand dollars a franchise of my religion yes and so that that looks like what had happened here he's basically i mean i can't prove this but that is exactly the case that happened in every single other case that we're talking about involving james mooney um but he probably convinced this woman that she would not be uh you know be able to be prosecuted if uh if she took on the ONAC brand by giving him a bunch of money and you were able to at this time buy a uh buy yourself a chapter of ONAC on their website for I think around twenty thousand dollars. Um so four different branches, that's you know, eighty thousand dollars. That's pretty good. So um the case lasts for years against Tracy. Uh her arguments for religious defense, and this is what makes me really think that like she was following Mooney's advice. Yeah. Uh the court's like, no, you can't do that. That doesn't count as religious <laughs> She's like, defense. What? Yeah. They have Dennis Hoff from the Bunny Ranch. Um, I know. Real scumbag, but the it's, it's, I think it's like one of the only legal brothels in America. Yeah, but that's he because comes, of Nevada, not because of their exactly. specific like like yeah. attorneys. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And so they, you know, he comes out and he's like, No, she's a she's a sex uh therapist or not therapist, but she's like a healer or whatever. Court doesn't buy that either. Uh, she's eventually sentenced to about six years in prison because all of her religious arguments that she had gotten from James Mooney failed. Yeah. Bunk. Bunk. So, you know, I had been aware that like a lot of people kind of make these arguments about their drug use or about, you know, very, you know, they're, they're sort of similar to sovereign citizen arguments where mm. it's like a shot in the dark, but maybe it'll work. Um, but Mooney, it seems, is really the leader of the pack in terms of actually licensing these, this stuff out. Um, and, you know, branching out from not only just peyote, but to ayahuasca, to weed, and eventually to sex. Um, it seems that everybody else gets busted and Mooney himself ends up just making a lot of money. Yeah, he seems to skate by and he seems to like, I, I don't know, he seems to really, it's funny because he gets interviewed a lot. Like yeah. in any kind of piece, like from the mid 2000s on where they're asking for a quote from anyone about ayahuasca, about peyote, about kind of like this guy's front and center, ready to talk about it, ready to talk about the ONAC. And yet like, it's so clearly, so obviously a scam. Yeah. I mean, if you look at this stuff for two seconds, you realize, Oh, this guy is literally faking being a native American using that to be able to sell drugs, which like, I, you know, I, I'm not like, I'm like, Fuck it, I don't care if weed, like, yes, no one should be arrested for, like, smoking weed or whatever. Um, actually, you know what? 
No. Everyone should be arrested for smoking <laughs> weed. But like, I don't care if people do ayahuasca. You know, it's like, I, it's, I, it doesn't matter to me. What it does, like really get in my craw here is this dude basically put on this, he's doing red face, as they call it. You know, it's not, he's a pretendian. And he's selling that. He's like faking this culture and selling it and getting other people busted. And then he's like the face of this like Native American spirituality thing. Meanwhile, he's been covering up for his old buddy David Hamblin, who's got his own native new Native American church called Four Winds, since the fucking 90s. Yes, and you'd think that journalists would be able to pick up on this. Like yeah. just from like you said, just real quick glance at it, but as we know, mainstream media, lamestream media has a real hard time identifying <laughs> race fakers when they're right in front of them. Yeah. And it's, 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 um, I mean, it's just astounding too. this little David Levitt fucking Utah press release and then dueling fucking press conference battles that happened last month, or excuse me, at the beginning of this month has gone so far down that we're talking about fucking James Mooney now. And now it was with Warren. Exactly. So I don't care if you're sick of hearing about the Utah County, <laughs> baby eating DA case. Uh, we are going to chase this motherfucker down to the bitter end. And as the election is tomorrow on June 28th, we will see what happens. Whether, I mean, there's actually no good guys in this case. So really it doesn't matter to me what happens. Um, but uh, this story is not over. So we talked about some SCOTUS cases Mm -hmm. in this last episode that we just did that people are still listening to. Um, But I would be remiss if we didn't talk about another SCOTUS case. Do you like that little transition? That was a a classic transition. (laughs) That was classic Liz transition. Can you do a transition? You're so much better at it. I would do that one. You would? Yeah. I mean, or I'd be like, uh, yeah, no, that's the only way to go. Yeah. It feels um, weird to not talk about. I know we're not like, I don't know, we're not the political after chat show or whatever, hot mm-hmm. take show. But we're it talking feels, SCOTUS. Yeah, it feels weird to not talk about Roe yeah. and, and what happened, um, or at least offer some thoughts, I guess. I, I feel like if I, if I yelled about the FDA jewel ban, then it would be weird if we didn't talk about Roe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. There was like last episode, um, we were kind of like talking about how everything feels like it's breaking, you know, and that there was like a kind of like, it feels like things were maybe like even some things were like humming along, even at this kind of low level. And now mm-hmm. they're kind of, all, everything's all hitting these like kind of pain points and, and, and breaking down or imploding or, you know, what have you. And I think with this, like, there was the leak of the draft, which was shocking and heartbreaking in its own right. But this news just, when that hit, like, this really broke me. <laughs> yeah. Like, it really broke me in, in, in a way that I even wasn't expecting. Um, 
and it's like not anyone's really anyone's business or whatever, but I just like sat there the other morning and like reading these stories of these women turned away in that moment in Texas, um, like already, you know, like begging doctors and trying to like bribe nurses, just like so desperate and afraid. And it's just like, how can you not like fucking just break down in tears reading that shit and thinking about all of these women across the country? Like it's just already an absolute like fucking nightmare and it hasn't even started yet. You know, and I think there are, you know, there's like a lot of people already, like very good people um, that are, you know, handing out resource links and all that. And I think there's a plethora of information out there, although I don't, I have no idea if it's getting into the right hands. Um, So I'm not going to like dwell on that too much, but, you know, I'll offer this, which is that like, I don't know how our health care system handles this, which is something I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about. There's already like so many holes and like so many gaps in this like horrible patchwork of coverage that we offer and in the like state assemblage of insurance companies and risk pools and all of it like and hospitals that are so stripped bare. I mean, we saw that during COVID, you know, and you Mm -hmm. it's all managed by these fucking vampiric private equity managers that have stripped everything down to the bones And so the only sure thing with any of this is that costs are going to rise for everyone and that more people are going to die, you know? And it seems like the saddest thing right now is that the most immediate question from all these institutions is just like the most American question of all, which is like, what's our liability? (laughs) You know, like everyone is like, who's going to get sued? Is it going to be women? Is it going to be doctors? Is it going to be states? Is it going to be airlines, governors? Like, you know, it's probably all of the above. You know, it's like we're all it's just that march one step closer in this reactionary fever dream of that anarcho-capitalist market state managed bloodlessly just by insurance companies in lieu of any functioning government. Like, you know, we talked about in that Koch Brothers episode we did. And I mentioned this like briefly in the episode about Johnny Depp, and but I think it like bears repeating that. You know, it feels as if there's this kind of like global squeeze happening, um, overtly, sure, but also I think covertly and under, you know, unstated, and I think sometimes in unconscious ways. But like, there's this move happening specifically regarding women, um, and the global plot pie is shrinking, right? Like it has been for some time, and things are breaking, and you know, again, they have been for some time. And it's, you know, in moments like that, you know, obviously it's easy to point fingers at the most recently emancipated. um, And in this instance, you know, women in particular, especially when it comes to childbirth, you know, it's worth pointing out here that two thirds of minimum wage workers are women. And also that women during the pandemic lost their jobs four times the rate of men, you know, and if America, I don't know, if America decides to continue to blow up the global trade empire in more ways than it already has, you know, and to globally kind of stress things even more than our, like the pandemic resource hoarding already has. And even more than the war in Ukraine, how it's exacerbating everything. Like all of that is just going to get worse. And I say that not to justify the like empire or whatever, but in a society where people are so 
like completely and universally alienated from the source of their consumer comforts, that the removal of those comforts feels like an internal problem rather than a base one. And I don't know, I tease Brace sometimes for, I mean, I tease you sometimes for your third worldism because, you know, it has goofy branding, but... I, no, I'm not explicitly a third world. <laughs> I just call them SSCism. No, but it's correct, even if it's, you know, uncomfortable to confront, which is that imperialism creates, you know, regional bourgeoisie, and it's why everything feels like intra-bourgeoisie competition. It's why all politics here is culture war, and all culture war is politics, and also why it feels so fucking totalizing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's why something can emerge like this, I don't know, this like return trad bullshit crap, you know, this kind of like irreligious traditionalism that is completely unmoored, this like floating aesthetic signifier that's, I don't know, reacting against liberalism being uncool or whatever. Mm -hmm. This just like completely embarrassing reactionary bohemianism that the media is so fucking obsessed with that I just... I have no patience for it, to be honest, especially especially now. I have no patience for it. And it's because people are so fucking alienated that no one actually knows the source of their own comfort, right? And all it's why all politics here fails to like improve or govern anything. And it's why we go round and round and round and why the end of the his, uh, the end of history was on the table. It's like, you know, everything in the developed world has become so simulacrative. Like it, reality doesn't even fucking matter. It's like beyond the hyper real. And everyone is just play pretending, getting away with whatever they can get away with while they can, even if deep down somewhere they know the music's going to drop. And it's like with all this, you know, the destruction of free trade, the collapse of global markets, all of that, so on, like you have to be able to fucking confront reality again. You know, it's it's starting to seep back through. The real is starting to shine back through. But it's like, no one even knows what to fucking look at. Yeah, I think there's just like a general trend of it being, um, I don't know, uncool to care about stuff or like sort of passe, mm. you know? Um, I, I think that a lot of people got really hyper-politicized, at least in some ways, during like the the Trump era. And, mm -hmm. and that's not just like – I know everyone talks about how liberal – I mean, obviously – you know, you have your sort of outstanding liberals and then like the insane MAGA people during that. Um, but also like a lot of people who I think would consider themselves on sort of the more like rational, like, you know, materialist socialist left or whatever. Um, and I think that, you know, we're sort of seeing like the, like, you know, how in the seventies, a lot of those new left people either, um, you know, they took their pensions from the CIA and they got their their jobs in Wall Street and made a lot of money and then were Obama donors or whatever. Uh, I think we're seeing like the the farce of that kind of play out, like the 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 replay of that where it's like it's no longer really cool to like care about politics anymore. And like you remember how like it was awful to say like Drumpf or whatever, like how it was like the specific kind of brand of like cringy or whatever liberalism. Mm -hmm. Um I feel like a lot of people treat like all politics like that now. And so, like the shock of something like you know Roe being overturned mm. is uh, is like there's is no difficult. plausible deniability anymore. Exactly, like it's a real thing that like really actually affects a lot of people, and it isn't just like you know uh, RussiaGate or whatever. Um, I mean, not that that didn't affect anybody, but you know what I mean. It's not just something that you can like dismiss because it doesn't affect anyone you actually know. Um, 
but but this could, you know, and um, and it's uh, and it affects a lot of women uh, th- throughout the country. Like, uh, you know, it's going to be. I would say everyone. Be, yeah. <laughs> Every- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, you know, it's in like the, the, who knows what's going to happen with all these fucking like snitch laws in Texas, especially how that like, you know, combined like sort of like bounty system and fucking, um, you know, technology and all that shit. It's just, I don't know. It's really, uh, it's depressing, but you know, it's, it's, uh, I guess it's, yeah, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's like lame to, to care about stuff. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you should either. Well, let's sign off. I'm Liz. My name is Brace. And of course, we are joined by producer Young Chomsky. And the podcast is called True and On. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein.